This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. From the campus of the Wharton School in San Francisco, this is Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Carl Ulrich. Welcome to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM Channel 132. I'm your host this week, Carl Ulrich. I'm the Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Wharton School, where I teach entrepreneurship, innovation, as well as product design. I co-host Launchpad with Rob Connybeer. Rob is Managing Director of Shasta Ventures, a leading Silicon Valley venture capital firm. And Rob and I switch off hosting duties week to week, and we broadcast variously from Seattle, Philadelphia, and as today, uh, from the Wharton School campus in the city of San Francisco. The, you've been listening to the show probably for quite a while, so I won't go through the whole story, but basically what we do on Launchpad is we bring entrepreneurs in to tell their stories of dealing with the challenges in the trenches of launching and growing new businesses. We've got a terrific show lined up for today, but to start off the show, I'm joined on the line by Kurt Seidensticker, who's the CEO and founder of Vital Proteins. Kurt, welcome to Launchpad. Hi, Carl. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> Excuse me. So first things first, let's point our listeners to your website. So it's just vital proteins, just those two words, those two dictionary words, vitalproteins.com. So I like that nice, clean, simple name. So Kurt, give us the elevator pitch for vital proteins. Yeah, you know... Th- the way Vital Proteins came about is really what the benefit of Vital Proteins is. I, I was actually a runner in my life, and I was as I was getting older, I recognized I wasn't able to recover from runs as quickly um, as I normally had done in my 30s. And I wanted to really figure out why that was. And it turns out I came across this research paper that talked about um, collagen. It was basically the essential role of glycine in collagen synthesis. And, you know, as I was looking at my running, I said, okay, I know I'm running far distance. I know my body's not recovering. Why is it not recovering? And really came up with the idea that I'm wearing down my my joint structures. Um, It's causing uh, pain. And from that, then I said, well, could I rebuild that? Could I eat something? Could I change my diet and actually help repair my body such that I could get back out on the road? And, And when I came across this paper, it really talked about this this amino acid called glycine, and glycine is a critical amino acid for synthesizing and creating collagen in your body. And this paper talked about how really your body needs about 15 grams a day, and you can get three grams from your diet. You can get three grams from just amino acid synthesis, and but you're still lacking about nine grams a day. And so I started thinking, like, well, where can I get nine grams of glycine to help rebuild my joints? And through that study, I was like, okay, um, what's the richest source of food for collagen? And came across, or sorry, for for glycine, and and came across the idea that collagen was really rich in glycine. Could I just eat collagen? And so the company was formed based on that principle. And in the market at the time, there was collagen pills uh, and tablets, but you really needed to take like 80 to 100 pills a day just to meet that glycine need to meet your body's need for generating collagen. 
And when I when I kind of went through that math and kind of read about this paper, I said, wow, that's really a vital protein. And, and that kind of started the company from day one. And the whole idea behind the company is that you need to consume collagen as you age. So when you're when you're above the age of 25, your body's slowing down that collagen production. And if you want to stay vital and you're, you know, healthy and, and active and, and living a full life, collagen is part of that catalyst because it's keeping you young. It's actually helping you with your hair, your skin, your nails, your joints, your bones, and it's helping repair the daily damage that we do for your body. And so the idea is you need to take collagen in a larger amounts of quantity that was in the market at the time. And, that, and what people are seeing is, you know, I had originally started this company kind of like a paleo running company, and the consumers really adopted it more as a, as a beauty company, as for skin health, hair, you know, thicker, stronger hair, faster growing nails, stronger nails. All right. Well, let's get to the most important question. Did your knees get better? Yeah, I'm actually, you know, back then I could run maybe 5K once a week. And now I'm running, yeah, I think this month I'll hit about 150 kilometers for the week. So that's like running a 10K every other day. Wow. All right. So I got a, I got a few nerdy, nerdy questions for you. The, the first is, if we run a consistent deficit of nine, what would explain humans running a consistent deficit of nine grams of a vital amino acid? Was it that in our prehistoric past, we were long past reproduction age, so evolution just didn't care if our joints wore out, or has there been some change to our diets? Yeah, I think it's a combination of everything. So when you think about evolution, right, once we, you know, 25 is probably the, the peak reproduction of age, your body then, you know, genetically stops producing collagen. It, it decreases 2% year over year. And so that's one factor. The other factors are diets really have changed over time. If you go back to the, the late 1800s, the early 1900s, um, we were really eating the whole animal. Like we really valued our food source and we didn't waste food uh, like we do today. And so what happens is because I would say probably in the 1950s, 1960s, we started getting into more modern food processing, building food to scale. And then in the 70s and 80s, we, we were told that fat was bad. And so we started serving chicken breasts without any skin on them. We started cutting the lean cuts of meat cutting off some of those cartilage and some of the tendons. And so we went to this very lean diet that stripped away a lot of the sources of collagen that were in our diet. If you look at our diets today, right, if we're eating um, plants and steaks and eggs and fish, none of those actually have any glycine in them. They're very, very low, very micro amounts. And it was really the skin of the fish. It was the skin of the chicken. It was when you were done eating, let's say, uh, a large bird or something, you know, my parents would then throw it into a crock pot and cook it for a stew for the next day. And sitting it in there, you were kind of making a bone broth and, and actually creating collagen for your diet. All right. Well, I'm going to head out after the show and order up some pig ears. Uh, it sounds <laughs> like uh, that, uh, actually I'm somewhat serious that that belies a serious question so is it gram for gram if i did uh slice up some pig ears which i suspect are mostly collagen would it be gram for gram if i ate nine grams of cartilage do i get roughly nine grams of collagen yeah so um 
it's almost gram for gram. So if you look at collagen as a whole, if you eat like the skin of a fish, and let's say that skin of the fish is five grams, that's five grams of collagen. So yeah. skin, the skin of the fish, um, that's probably the easiest way to measure it. Uh, it's a little bit harder on the bones because you're not going to eat the bones. You have to extract it out of right. cooking it for a long process. And when you look at like, you know, we recommend someone get 20 grams to 40 grams of collagen per day. Mm-hmm. And that equ- that equates to collagen is about 40 percent, um, maybe, or I'm sorry, yeah, about 40 percent glycine. So then you can kind of calculate from that to get your nine grams of glycine that you need every day. All right. And then just a couple more nerdy questions. The So it, it's kind of a, a circuitous path to get the collagen back in that you're eating collagen and then presumably you're digesting it into glycine and then you're resynthesizing the collagen. Is that the, is that the metabolic pathway? It, it, there's actually multiple metabolic pathways. Um, according to, to research that we have, your body will, t- if it'll take one of those exa- one of the collagen molecules or one of the collagen peptides that you actually digest and use that exact molecule to build additional collagen structures inside your body. Okay. No so yeah. they, they've done animal uh, studies where they show that the collagen that you consume or that the animal consumes actually got rebuilt in a joint of an animal within 12 hours and without even being broken down further into amino acids. So there's, there's, there's bioavailability in the collagen molecule itself. And there's other studies that show that collagen will actually repair your digestive tract right there. So rather than taking it through the entire uh, digestive system and through your liver and through your blood system, your body will actually take that collagen molecule and actually start repairing your, your intestinal tract. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just as an aside, I'm going to have to eat some crow a little later, uh-huh. hopefully not hopefully figuratively and one of one of my good friends who's chinese started a a company that built on asian medicine and i was a little skeptical but one of the key one of the key elements of that was these collagen based soups which could help rebuild re, help with, with recovery so it sounds like there's actually some science behind that yeah i mean there's there's a a significant amount of science about the benefit of digesting or ingesting collagen to help repair your body and, and help you, um, you know, even there's, we have studies that show skin studies that show the elasticity improves, the hydration improves, the fine wrinkles are reduced. Right. And, and it all goes back like when you say like uh, Chinese medicine or ancient medicine, right. The Asian culture has always been consuming collagen for a long period of time. And, the benefits that they've been seeing are are and, and very substantial, I would say. So it's only coming to the Western culture for digestion of collagen now. All right. So let's we've got the origin story, we've got the science. Let's talk now about the product. How do I actually get my nine grams or or the thirty grams you recommend? What is the product? So that's that's the other thing we've done. I think. W- you know, Vital Proteins kind of created this category back in 2012, 2013. And our very first, like, hero skew is, like, our blue collagen tub. Um, it's a collagen peptide. It's it's unflavored. It's um, You can mix it into your water or your coffee, and it just comes with a scoop as a powder. And what we found was over our time, you know, that was our hero skew. But my goal personally was to get 
collagen into people's diet in any form. Make it a more convenience factor and give it, you know, provide a product that's in different form factors. So we started out with that collagen peptides where people were just adding it to water and they were adding it to their coffee. And from that point, like one thing that was great is we started the company as a direct-to-consumer business on our website and we developed all these relationships with our consumers. And we were able to reach out to them directly and ask them, you know, how are you consuming the product? You know, how much are you consuming? Why are you consuming it? And from that data, we noticed two things. One is we noticed, you know, collagen is really like this gooey, sticky molecule. And when you add it to ice cold water, it doesn't mix very well. Mm. But we also understood that people were adding it to coffee uh, because it didn't affect the flavor of the thing. So two things that we did as we evolved the company is we came up with a beverage called a collagen water that actually makes it very easy to consume on a grab-and-go basis. So, you know, someone can go to Costco or Whole Foods or Target or Erewhon and pick up a collagen water and not have to go through the, the mess of actually making it. And then the other side is we, we came up with a, a coffee creamer, a collagen creamer that you can add to your coffee um, that actually, you know, enhances the coffee as well. Wow, interesting. All right, I want you to take us back, Kurt, to the to the the epiphany when you had this realization that this stuff was working for you, and tell us a little bit about what you were doing at the time and how you decided that this should be a business. Yeah, you know, I, I've been a serial entrepreneur my you know probably probably my whole life, even dating back to a kid. Like I was the, the type of kid even in first grade that had all these ideas and. You know, how was I, I going to turn this into a business? And so it had been part of my nature the whole time, looking, looking at problem solving and, and, and identifying the opportunity. And so I had started probably about 10 businesses between the time that I graduated college and the time I started Vital Proteins. I would say seven out of those 10 um, weren't successful. Two were, two were successful, and they, they ended up supporting you know, my family for – for 20 years and, and putting my kids through school out of all of those things, I learned a lot of things that when, when you have an idea, you need, you need to recognize that idea. You have to be, you have to actually um, not be a competitor, but be a creator. And so when I was going through this idea, originally I was looking to solve my own problem with running and just thought I would be adjusting my own diet read this paper. My daughter was in med school at the time, was feeding me medical journals and helping me un interpret them. But I would say there was this one week in time in September of 2012 where I, I, I kind of solidified that idea. I read that paper. I thought it was a vital proteins. And, and for someone to say, hey, I'm going to go start a protein company, there's tons of competitors out on the market, mm -hmm. right? There was you know, at the time, whey protein was still you know, n near its peak or coming over the peak. But plant protein was coming up and, and being very strong as well. You had companies like Vega and others that were that were now advocating um, a lower content protein, but still a protein nonetheless derived from plants. And so when I when I thought about this all in that late September, I was like, I should actually just create my own category and kind of own the market, set the narrative of what this should be, and get out there and market. And, and the key was I always I always kind of tell my team you got to move quickly and so i would say by the end of the week i said i got the domain name which is you know a sign i think when you go and these days and you have an idea and you have a company name and you go check the domain name and it's available it's kind of a sign to say yeah this is this is it and so i mm -hmm. 
by the end of the week, I got a domain name. I, I leased a facility um, that we did a gut rehab to make a food facility. And, and I did it all, you know, pretty much on my own with sweat equity and, and long hours early on in the day and, and decided right at that moment that I was going to build a brand. And what I was doing at the time, I was actually working on another business at the time. And uh, that had ended up being dwarfed by this, this opportunity. So, mm -hmm. All right. So I, I, you said a couple of things that piqued my interest there. First, if we look at the supplements industry, I would say it's a, in some ways it's a bad neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of stuff that's, there's multi-level marketing schemes. There's all kinds of stuff that, that I think gives people, a lot of people, a negative response. Did you think about that? And how did you just differentiate yourself from some bad actors in that space? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, right? There's so many supplement companies out there. And, and one, one thing I initially was thinking about is, for me personally, transparency and authenticity were key, right? I think I was the first person with vital proteins to actually go out there and tell consumers what collagen was. A lot of people mm -hmm. were saying that, you know, collagen just came from a lab. And, you know, if you look at our packaging, I put the cow on there. I told the story of how the collagen was made. And I, we really stuck to a principle of minimal processing of all our things. I think we have like over 100, maybe even 150 different varieties of collagen products. But we stick to a basic principle. And that came from the early days that we were going to be transparent. We were going to be authentic. We were going to try to go with whole natural nutrition, minimally processed. And we were going to tell the consumer exactly what was in the product and how we made it so that you could build this level of authenticity and trust with your consumer such that they were um, more willing to, to try your product and, and, and hear about the benefits of the product. Yeah. You know, the other thing you said that that struck me was you said at that time, proteins were at their peak. And that says you recognized that there was some cyclicality, possibly even faddishness to this business. How do you think that question through? and what you could build that would be sustainable and not just a, a fad. Yeah, so uh, when you look at like what whey protein was, right, whey had come a long way. Probably, you know, when you look at trends and fads, like whey still is still in the market today. It's very beneficial, I think, for, for bodybuilders and people who are looking for protein. But what was happening is people were actually looking at food allergies. They were trying to go like with a paleo diet at the time. Mm -hmm. And they were stripping dairy out of their diet, right? So I saw, I kind of saw that trend early on as the paleo movement was gaining traction. And I also knew that plant protein wasn't for me personally just because of the, the solubility and grittiness. And as I was thinking about the development of vital proteins, I realized that just a protein by itself is not um, differentiated enough. It, it it, it wouldn't have that ability to withstand a cyclical short-term trend. And so what I was thinking is I need to have this protein be a functional protein, meaning it's, it's integrated with your lifestyle. And so the whole idea was to develop a lifestyle brand around the protein and really talk about the functional benefits of the protein. So you can go off and take a plant protein, you can take a whey protein, and what you're getting is you're getting protein in your diet, mm -hmm. right? So I may need X amount, X amount of protein in my diet, um, but there was nothing more than like you feel good about eating a plant. 
or you're getting enough protein and branch chain amino acids from the whey. And so the idea with Vital was, okay, you can consume this protein. It's got no dairy, but also here are the health benefits of it. Skin hydration, skin elasticity, uh, bone and joint health, you know, strong hair, skin, nails, different types of things that then wrapped around an entire lifestyle brand. So now we wrapped a company in this lifestyle where you're healthy, you're on the go, you're doing yoga, you're running, you're out there doing CrossFit, you're out there doing um, high-intensity training, you're going to a fashion show, you're, you're, you're traveling. And so you bring this entire lifestyle together and how that protein helps that lifestyle. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich, and I'm speaking with Kurt Seidensticker, who is the founder and CEO of Vital Proteins. Kurt, as you thought about building brand, have you have you just used one brand, Vital Proteins, or are you trying to build sub-brands within these different categories? Yeah, so Vital Proteins is what we call like our parent brand, and I think there's opportunities to develop sub-brands on there. We just launched uh, what we're calling Vital Performance, and this line is more towards the what we call internally the measured athlete, the person who's out there training four or five days a week who has a very um, – They've got their calorie tracker. They're actually monitoring their calories. They're trying to either get bigger or they're trying to get leaner or they're trying to lose weight. And so we have a pre-workout, a post-workout. But where I think the, the next frontier in, in wellness is really sleep. So we also have a sleep product as well mm-hmm. as part of this performance to say, hey, here's pre-workout that will give you collagen and branched-chain amino acids. Here's post-workout that gives you hydration. It gives you branched-chain amino acids, gives you collagen, and then a sleep product that actually helps your sleep. Because glycine, we have to go back to that glycine molecule, right? Glycine is a central nervous system. It kind of calms you down at the end of the night as well, and it gives you a nice, longer, deeper sleep. So uh, Vital essentially becomes the silver thread that's woven through those those brands. Correct, yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good strategy. I, I wonder if, if you can talk a little bit about customer acquisition it it's i'm curious to if you could start with the early days so you have this idea you go out you start building a facility you're making a pretty big bet on this how did you acquire those early customers when you were direct to direct to consumer yeah i mean early days we were selling like the you know i would say the first three or four months we were selling like seven units a week and uh, yeah, we had we were like worried about it, right? And, but one thing I had learned before in my previous businesses is that you really have to allocate resources to marketing, and you really have to get that word out there. And in 2013 and 2014, right as the company was going out there, something really uh, amazing happened. I think from an early startup entrepreneurial company is I went out there. I think I was standing in a Whole Foods, and I saw a Paleo FX magazine or Paleo Magazine, I saw that there was, there was this trade show in Austin for Paleo people. And I said, let's go there and let's tell our story about what this this company is and what this product is. And something happened there. So I went to the show, and it was like a three- or four-day show, 12 hours a day. And I just sat there and I talked to people like, like Carl, like you and I are doing now. And I yeah. told them this idea of what the benefits are. And 
they listened. And it turns out a lot of those people were on this journey of, of, of writing about, uh, like on a blog and telling yeah. people about what they're learning. They're early adopters out there trying to spread the word and also create their own brand. I think early on in, in 2014, uh, you know, I spent a couple hours with Melissa Hartwick, who's now the founder of Whole30, uh, Mark Sisson as well, and uh, uh, Katie, who is a wellness mom, and all these influential people early days were actually having conversations with me one-on-one and getting to know me, getting to know our brand, getting to know the benefits, and they became evangelists of the brand out there talking and spreading the word at, at no cost, right? They were doing this out of trying to build their brand and also mm-hmm. trying to get the word out about collagen. And so once I recognized that, I said, we're going to really invest in getting out there and having these conversations. And I kind of coined the word back then. I don't know if it was a word. It's used a lot today, but I call them influencers. They're influencing the market. And this was before Instagram and really before people were getting on to Facebook and really promoting brands on Facebook. And so we spent probably all of 2014 and 2015 just out there developing these influencer relationships. And then in 2016, Instagram started becoming a thing. And we already had synergy with the way our team was structured to be developing these relationships. And I made this one critical decision, I think, that was successful for the company. And that was, instead of hiring a sales team, because we were growing, we were now we were now in that pace with these influencers growing 5% week over week. And we wow. were just trying to keep up with that growth. But what I realized what I needed to do in, in early 2016, what I did is instead of hiring a sales team to now go after these major retail accounts like Whole Foods and Costco and Target, I decided to hire a relationship management team. I hired about 16 folks um, that I knew that by, by the time, you know, they had to make it work within six months because, it, you know, hiring 16 people oh, right out of the gate is wow. fairly yeah. expensive. And their job was to cultivate these relationships. So instead of hiring a sales team, I hired an influencer relationship management team, and they spent the entire 2016 year getting the word out about vital protein such that by the end of 2016, Whole Foods approached us with a natural launch of the product in, in all of their stores. And that's, that's critical, right? Because it wasn't me going to a store and trying to sell vital protein or me trying to sell vital proteins to Whole Foods. Whole Foods was coming to us and saying, we want to carry you. And, and it gives you a lot better brand credibility and a lot better relationship. And, so those early days were strictly all direct to consumer up until then. Wow. Well, Kurt, I have time for just one more question, but let me ask you, as you reflect back on on 2012 and the origins of this business, and then you think about where you are today, uh, what has proven to be most different from what you expected? Most different. Well, I would, I would say the thing that's bigger than I, I thought is just, I, I, you never, as an entrepreneur, know what the upside potential of the company is. Yeah, I never, I never expected it to get this big. I never expected it. You know, I go just about anywhere. I was actually in Italy at, at some cafe, and and the women were there saying they knew Vital Proteins. They pull it out of their their purses. So I, I, I would say that's my biggest thing that's different. Right? It was always me as an entrepreneur, me as a CEO, building and driving this company, but never taking the time to pop your head up and see see what it's become. Well, it's that's always an, the surprise we like. And so it's an amazing story, Kurt, and thanks so much for making the time to join me. Thank you, Carl. All right. For more information, go to vitalproteins.com. 
I'm Carl Ulrich, Vice Dean of Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Wharton. Launchpad is produced by Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. The show airs live on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. You can find more episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.